Hey everybody, this is Pastor Cor Chavis. Thank you so much for checking us out today at Truth Chapel's podcast. If this word has blessed your spirit or encouraged you, take a moment and leave us a quick review. Also, check us out at truth-chapel.com or any of our social media outlets, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. God bless, and I pray you enjoy. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. Well, you and I are living in such a peculiar moment of time. It seems like now more than ever, there is a constant uncertainty about the future. Each morning when the day begins and the sun begins to rise, we are tasked with an unpredictability. You don't know what's going to happen next. And about the time you have it all figured out and you've learned how to dot every I and cross every T, get ready because everything is about to change. We are in a unique day. But if we're not careful, the uniqueness of our day can bring a frustration. And this frustration can bring on feelings of helplessness and hopelessness because it makes our lives more difficult, challenging, and trying. Yet all the adversity that may come our way, there is a church. And this church is sure and steady. This church has stood the test of time. This church is strong and stable. This church is solid and secure. Only the church knows how to rise to the occasion every single time. The church knows how to be comforting during a crisis. The church knows how to be powerful during pandemics. The church is supportive during suffering. The church is unstoppable when all else is unstable. The church is relentless during recessions. That is the church. And I found out a long time ago that I can feel the pressures of life mounting. And I can feel the burdens of the world on my shoulder. But if I can just make it through the doors of the church... I may not be laughing when I come in. I may not be jumping and shouting when I come in. But if I can just somehow get in to where God is. David said in Psalm 27 and 4, he said, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Psalm 122 and 1, he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Why is this house so important? Because in this house, his presence comes down. And Psalm 16 and 11 said, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. We are in something that has been destined to succeed. You ought to elbow your neighbor, say you are part of something that is going to make it. Come on, slap somebody upside the head and say, you are in a church that's going to make it. Woo. Somebody felt inspiration there. The apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4 and said, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are cast down, but we are not destroyed. Why? Because we know where our hope is. 
Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is not in our abilities, accomplishments, or accolades. Our hope is not in our insight, intelligence, or ingenuity. Our hope is not in our propensity, proficiency, or prosperity. Our hope is not in our efficiency, our education, or expertise. Our hope is not in our mastery, our means, or our money. But Colossians 1.27 says, It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. 1 John 4.4 says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Just a little while feeling his presence, you can leave a changed person. Just a little while feeling the power of the Holy Ghost. And you can walk out of here with a new lease on life. Just a little while feeling the goodness of heaven come down on earth. And you can walk out feeling there's nothing too hard. There's nothing too difficult. There's nothing too complicated that I cannot succeed in. Hey, can I preach to somebody and let you know if there's a life, you can live it. If there's a star, you can reach it. If there's a job, you can do it. If there's a class, you can teach it. If there's a book, you can write it. If there's a degree, you can earn it. If there's a business, you can build it. If there's a barrier, you can break it. If there's a song, you can sing it. If there's a gospel, you can preach it. If there's a hell, you can miss it. If there's a heaven, you can make it. You can do all things. Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, That Christ that's in us, that's the Christ that could not be defeated, that could not be overcome. That was the Christ that could not be annihilated. It's the Christ that all others tried to stop but could not succeed. The Pharisees tried but could not trap him. Sadducees tried but could not outsmart him. Politicians tried but could not outwit him. Crowds tried but could not sway him. Society tried but could not confuse him. Pilate tried but could not judge him. The devil tried but could not destroy him. Death tried but could not kill him. The grave tried but could not hold him. That is the leader of this church. That is the one we can put our hope in that promised us in Hebrews 13 and 5, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. That's the one that verse 8 of that same chapter said, he's the same yesterday and today and forever. He's the God that doesn't change. He doesn't falter. He doesn't fail. He doesn't disappoint. He doesn't lose. He doesn't stab you in the back. He doesn't break your heart. He doesn't walk out of your life. He doesn't leave you by yourself. He does not mistreat you, mislead you, or misuse you. It's the God that's never inappropriate, inaccurate. He's the one that gave us a sure word. That I will go to the ends of the earth with you. And while we have that promise that he would never leave us. You and I both know that there are times when we are not in the church building. Surrounded by brothers and sisters of like precious faith. That life has a way of blindsiding you. Life has a way of catching you off guard. Taking you by surprise. 
And even when we flip through the pages of our Bible, we see there are moments and there are times that even the greatest disciples had to wonder, God, do you still know what's going on in my life? Have you ever been there before? Have you had those feelings? Have you had those thoughts run through your mind? God, do you still see what's going on? Are you still aware of everything that I'm facing? Do you see the heaviness I'm having to carry? Do you know what I am going through? It was in the book of Acts, the 12th chapter, that we find that there was great persecution coming against the church. It had gotten so bad that the king had decided to kill James, the brother of John. And then when he couldn't be stopped, he set his sights a little higher decided he would go for the leader of the church, a man by the name of Simon Peter. Simon Peter, no stranger to Scripture. He was the one that when Jesus asked in Matthew 16, who do you say that I am? It was Peter that spoke up and said, I know who you are. You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. It was that same man that Jesus looked at and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. I'm giving to you the keys of the kingdom, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against what? Against the church. It was that same Simon Peter that when he was standing in the boat, surrounded by the other disciples, and when they looked out, and they thought they saw a ghost out on the water. It was Peter that spoke up and said, No, that's not a ghost. That's Jesus. And no, I don't think so. That looks like something weird, something strange. I think that's some kind of spirit. That's some kind of ghost out on the water. And it was Peter that had to speak up and said, No, you read too many Harry Potter books. I'm telling you, that's not a ghost. That's Jesus. And it was that same man that stepped off the boat and literally walked on the water with Jesus. It was that same Simon Peter on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost fell. And they thought that they were drunk and intoxicated and out of their mind. It was Peter that spoke up and said, These men are not drunk as you suppose, seen as but the third hour of the day, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. When they asked, what do we need to do? It was Peter that spoke in Acts 2.38 and said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. There was no doubt, no question, no reservation. Peter was the one that walked with the Lord. It was Peter with John going to pray. And they saw a lame man in Acts 3 sitting beside the gate. Peter opened his mouth and said, Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have give I to thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And that lame man began to walk. He was healed and had a miracle in his life. Peter became so revered 
He became so renowned in Christian circles that the people longed just for his shadow to pass over them because they knew if the shadow of Peter would pass over me, there's enough faith for me to be healed. But now, the one who stood before crowds, the one who electrified congregations, the one who miracles flowed through, uh, that man now was imprisoned and jailed. Now, instead of standing in front of the people, he was laying on the cold, hard jail floor. Body is tired and weary. His mind is racing 100 miles an hour because he had to be wondering if they would kill James what do you think they're going to do to the leader? They're going to do more than kill. They're going to torture. They're going to afflict. They're going to put so much on me, I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle it. And here he is laying on this floor, and his body so broken down, hungry, desperate for something to change. And somehow, some way, he closes his eyes and begins to fall asleep. The king was so nervous, so worried that he might escape that he put him all the way down into the second ward. Then, as another precaution, put a guard on either side of him. So there was no way he could ever escape. So here is Peter, guards on either side, laying on this floor, chained and shackled to the ground. Then as he is laying there, there's a light that begins to shine in this dark night. And as this light shines, the guard on the left falls and hits the ground. And the light shines again and the guard on the other side hits the floor. And Peter's trying to wake himself up. Don't know if he's dreaming or if this is really happening trying to figure out, is this some kind of nightmare or is this really happening before me? And as he lifts his eyes up, towering over him, there is an angel. And this angel looks at him and says, it's time to go. He's, try, he's almost baffled. He's caught so much caught off guard that he, he's just looking at him with a strange uh, look on his face. Then that angel again gets almost aggravated and smites him and says, Hey, dude, you got to get up. And again, he's trying to make sense. You ever been there before that you kind of wake up in the middle of the night and you don't know if you're really awake or if this was just too much cheese pizza the night before? You ever been there? Peter's just trying to figure out, I think he just hit me. Are angels supposed to hit you? I don't know. And so he's looking and the angel, try to envision this in your mind. Try to imagine what this must have felt like as he is laying on the floor and he's looking up at this angel. And the angel says, hey, Hot Rod, what's taking you so long? Let's go. Sometimes I like to put myself in the Bible right when it's going on. And I have to wonder, even if just for a moment, maybe he didn't even say it. Maybe he just thought it. Did Peter just look at the angel and say, I would leave, but I'm chained to the floor. Hello, somebody. 
Does anybody else catching that? He's chained with his hands. He's shackled with his feet. And the angel says, hey, I don't know what your deal is, Bubba. We got to go. I wonder if Peter thought, man, if I wasn't chained and shackled, I would follow you. But if you want me to go, I don't know where I'm going, but I'll get up. But notice what the scripture says. That when he gets up, the word says the chains just fall off his hands and his feet. See, sometimes God calls us and says, come on. And we think, I can't do that. I'm tied down. I'm tied down with chains. I'm shackled down with responsibility. I'm dealing with addictions and troubles. Hey, I got family drama I can't break out of. I can't get past this generational curse. I can't get out of this poverty. I can't get out of this mess. I can't get out of this drama. But when you respond to the word that comes your way, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. When God calls you and there's an opportunity to say, hey, I'm going to pull you out. When you respond, the same thing that will happen to you is the same thing that happened to Peter. The chains just fell off. And so the angel looks at him and says, get your sandals on. It's time to go. So Peter walks over and slips his crocs on his feet. He says, all right, let's go. And they walk out of the first ward. Then they walk out of the second ward. Then they walk out of the jail. Then they're about to walk through that gate. And all the while they're walking, he has to be thinking, if they catch me before we get out of here, this is not going to be pretty. If somebody grabs me before we can get out of this gate, this is going to get ugly in a hurry. But he just follows this angel and he follows him right out the iron gate. So if you look at it, to the outsider looking in, it may have seemed like it was just coincidence that the angel just showed up. The chains just fell off and Peter was able to walk out of the jail. But on the contrary, in Acts 12 and verse number 5, when Peter was first in prison... The scripture tells us this, that prayer was made without ceasing by the church of God. When he got himself in a predicament, when it looked like there was no light at the end of the tunnel, when it looked like his world was about to come crashing to an end, there was a church that stood up and said, no, this is not going to be your final destination. This is not going to be the last chapter written in your life story. You know what the reality of the matter is? Peter didn't walk out of prison. The church pulled him out of prison. Hey, and I can speak if nobody else. I can speak for myself. There's been times in my life I know it was not the actions I was taking. I know it was not because what I was doing. But there was a church that lifted me up before the Lord. There was a praying mama. There was a praying saint of God. There was a friend in the church that said, God, get a hold of him. Don't let him go. The reason why we're here today 
It's not because your reflexes that you avoid every accident you come close to. It's not because you haven't been diagnosed with a fatal illness. You know what it is? There's a church that's calling your name out. There's a church in Loganville that's rooting for you. There's a church that's praying for you. There's a truth chapel saying, God, you got purpose. You got a plan. You got a destiny for that life. If I got to throw them over my shoulder I'm going to pull them out never underestimate the power of a praying church never discount the validity of your prayer your prayer can move mountains your prayers can calm storms your prayers can operate in the miraculous Don't, don't worry about nobody else your prayer can make a difference See, we just fast forward just a few chapters and we see almost the same thing happening all over again. In Acts chapter 20, we find that Paul, the apostle, is preaching and the crowd of people has gathered and they're listening to every word that he is saying. They're almost taken back that they're in the presence of such a notable speaker and an anointed apostle a powerful preacher like the Apostle Paul. But the word says that he was long preaching. Somebody's praying against that right now. God, don't let this brother be long preaching. He was preaching long. And there was a young man in the service, a young man by the name of Eutychus. And he was listening to this dynamic speaker. But the longer that speaker spoke, the more heavy his eyes became. You ever been there? Uh, It's not that the pastor's not doing good. It's just you trying your best. You had a late night. and You trying to pay attention and you kind of catch yourself sleeping and trying to play it off. You know, I found out when people are not in yes during your sermon, they're not always agreeing. They caught themselves sleeping and they're trying to play it off. Nobody else in the pew saw me, right? Yeah, that's right, brother. That's right. Eutychus, he's trying his best. He's shaking his head and trying to, yeah, that's it, brother. Go on. Keep on preaching. He kind of leans up against the wall. And as he leans up, he's right beside this window. And before he can stop it, his eyes start to close and his head sinks down and his body begins to tilt. And he begins to slide down this wall until he actually slides out the window. Three lofts, three stories high. And when he falls, boom, he crashes down. And you can hear a pin drop. You could begin to listen to the, listen to the sniffling. And you could almost hear the tears streaming down people's faces. How... Could something like this happen? How could during a service a young person die in Paris? What are we going to do? How are we going to move forward? Uh, what, What are we going to do now? Everybody's nervous and anxious and worried and upset and uh, it's starting to trend on Twitter. Brother dies during service. What are we going to do? Finally, the Apostle Paul's looking around and he says, okay. And he starts walking down the stairs. 
And as he gets all the way down to the ground floor, he looks not far off in the distance. There lies Eutychus. He's not breathing. He's not moving. He's not speaking. It becomes evident, clear, certain. Eutychus is gone. Paul walks over to him and he looks down at his lifeless body. And Acts 20 verses 9 and 10 says he does something a little unorthodox. He stretches himself out and he embraces him. And when he embraces him, he leans back to all the people that are filming on their phones. He leans back and says, hey, I got to tell you something. There's still life in him. I know we all watched him fall out of church. We saw it with our eyes. We heard it with our ears. You were an eyewitness. You saw as he made shipwreck of his life. We watched him make bad decisions and wrong choices. We watched as his life became futile. We watched as he fell to his own demise. But I got something to tell you. Even though he fell, I got to let somebody know there's still life in him. Hey, can I preach to somebody this morning? Does not matter how far the fall has been. Does not matter if everybody and their brother has watched him come to a demise. But there is a God in heaven that loves us when we are unlovable. He cares for us when nobody cares. He believes in you when you don't believe in yourself. He's the God that never leaves. He never forsakes. He's the one that can pick you up when you are down. He can lift you up when you are low. He can encourage you when you are discouraged. He can strengthen you when you are weak. He can make you live when you are ready to die. I don't know how to explain it, but all I know is this. When Paul embraced him, he loved that man back to life. And you know what compassion can do? Compassion is like that life preserver. You can throw it off deep into the ocean. You can throw it and it looks like nobody's even close. But compassion can bring somebody back to a right standing relationship with the Lord. Compassion can bring somebody back into a right place with God. Compassion, it can pull people out of the fire. Paul said, there's still life in him. And he leans back over and this young man, <gasps> the breath came back. His eyes began to flicker. His body began to move and Paul picked him up. Brought him back up the stairs. Sat him in a seat and then kept preaching. That's a long-winded preacher right there. Ain't nobody stopping the long-winded preacher. But you want to know what really happened? The church pulled him back. All it took was one person that had faith and said, No, you're not going out on my watch. No, you're not going to go to a devil's hell as long as I have anything to do with it. 
No, you are my son. You are my daughter. I will love you until there's no life left in me. You are my friend. You are my sister. You are my brother. I'm going to love you. I'm not giving up on you. I'm not throwing in the towel. I'm not waving the white flag of surrenderance. Hey, sir. Hey, ma'am. There's somebody pulling for you still. There's somebody reaching for you still. There is somebody that will pick you up and say, you will not be lost. You are not by yourself. You don't have to live in that place of darkness and distress and depression by yourself. No, there's a church that's pulling for you. Could you lift your hands to the Lord with me for a moment? The music's getting ready to come. Woo, I feel the presence of God in this place. I feel him speaking to somebody's heart, trying to illuminate somebody's mind. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. It was years ago I had the privilege of youth pastoring in the inner city Indianapolis for about three years. and We had a, our church was not in the best area. Because of that, there was a lot of crime and a lot of vandalism and issues. And, but when God saved me, he saved me out of a bad situation. Brought me out of addictions. Filled me with the Holy Ghost in a drug dealer's house. And I gave my life to, I'm going to reach people. No matter where they are, I'm going to reach for them. And so we had different young people that would come. And, and when they came, they'd have no... Bible knowledge, no religious training, didn't know how to act in a service. And so it, they, we would start service. And I knew where they'd come from, rough backgrounds, lifestyles that were not conducive to living a Christian life. And, but it always amazed me that the ones that would put on the facade and act like they were the toughest... Even some that would act like I'm not praying. I don't even want to be here. When the Holy Ghost started moving. Never fail. That's the one the Spirit would zero in on. And I'd watch over and over again. But one young man in particular's name was William. I knew about William. And he'd always sit on the last row. And he'd never make any kind of move or response. But on this service, I watched and it became evident that God was dealing with him and that the Lord was talking to him. And finally, he, he couldn't stay there any longer. The altar call was given just like it's about to be given here in a moment. William came down to the front. A life that's full of turmoil. A life plagued by bad decisions and wrong choices. But in just one moment, with his hands lifted high, a lifetime of bad decisions became erased. God filled him up with the Holy Ghost and transformed his life. I got to be there. William was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And if you want to make a life-altering decision, I urge you to be baptized in Jesus' name. It will change you forever. William went down in Jesus' name, baptism. And there's no doubt God had done something miraculous in his life. But as time began to pass, I watched as William 
would come every Sunday. But then he'd start to miss. It wasn't long. It's just a Sunday here, Sunday there. And then before we knew it, William wasn't coming at all. And he'd call me on the phone. He'd say, Doug, I just don't know if I can ever come back. I know what I felt and I know what I've done. I just, I just don't know if I could ever be accepted back. I said, come on, don't let the enemy lie to you. See, the devil will tell you, you're not welcome. You're not a part. They're going to look down on you. They're going, that's the lie. Can I just call it like it is? This is not a judgment church. This is a salvation church. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, he said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. William would come back. and It was always remarkable. As soon as he'd come back, God would be the same. We may not be the same, but God's still the same. He still loves pure. He still loves us with an everlasting love. His love is sure and sincere. His love many waters cannot quench. And all it would take was one altar call. I want to tell somebody today, all it takes is one altar call. All it takes is one brave moment. To say, I'm willing to come to the front. I'm willing to open my heart. And I'm willing to let God do something in my life. William would come. Wouldn't take long. God would do the same thing again. Shower him with love and restore him back into that right relationship. Fill him up again with the Holy Ghost. Then the same story would unfold again. William would miss. Then after a few months, he was completely gone when it seemed again. Till this last time, almost a year had passed. Hadn't seen him, talked to him. Don't know where he's at. He called me on the phone. It's a Monday night, about 10 o'clock. He said, Doug, I've messed up again, and I just don't know what to do. I said, well, I'll tell you what, buddy. Let's, let's go get something to eat. I know it's late. But let's go get something to eat, and I'll talk with you. So we went, grabbed a hamburger, and we're sitting in the restaurant, and sometimes you just got to lay it all on the line. And I told him, I said, you know what's going on, buddy? You're a man without a country. No matter where you go, you don't ever fit in. Because unless you really give God everything, you don't feel like you fit in with the church. But then you go back into the world and all your friends know there's something different about you. You just can't go back to the club. You just can't go back to the bar. Some, there's something different about you. People know he said, I, I know it, I know it. He's, I said, what you got to do, you got to give one eternal yes to God. That's what the Lord is looking for in this service in your life. He's looking for you to say, hey, I'm done playing games. I don't want to play religion. I just want to love you, Jesus. you got to give it all to Him. He said, I, I want to do that. I said, okay, let's go to the church. I know it's not a service, but I'll call a couple friends. We'll pray with you. So we went to the church. I'll never forget, I was sitting on the second row on this side of the sanctuary and had my head in my hands. I was praying. William came over, sat right beside me, put his arm around my shoulder. He said, Brother Doug, I got the Holy Ghost again. He said, why do I keep running from this? This is better than any drug or pill. 
This is better than all the money and entertainment. This is better than all the games, anything I could ever have. The Holy Ghost. Why do I run from the best thing that's ever happened to me? That's a question maybe somebody needs to ask themselves. Why are you still running? Why haven't you just come all the way back? Dropped him off at his house. Tuesday came. Called him, just checking on him. Said, if you need anything, you let me know. He said, well, tomorrow's church. I'm going to come Wednesday night to church. I said, okay, if you need a ride, you just call me. Wednesday morning came. I was at my job at the time. My phone started ringing. It was my pastor's wife. She never really called me. So it's kind of out of the ordinary that she was calling. So I answered the phone. and First thing out of her mouth, she said, Did you hear what happened to William? I said, Well, I don't know what happened to William. She said, Well, they found him this morning. He was gone. He was dead. I said, Well, we're probably talking about two different Williams. No, it was the same William. Come to find out he had cancer in his body and didn't even know it. See, if this last 18 months haven't taught us anything, it's taught us this, that life is fragile. David said in Psalm 39 and 4, he said, Teach me, O Lord, how frail I am. I can go out at any moment. We are not promised tomorrow. But I close with this. I'm in the funeral trying to find something to say. What do you say? about a teenager that just died, died suddenly. So many questions and people needed closure. And why would God allow this to take place? And it was sad that his life came to a premature end. It was sad uh, that William went out of this world. But then I thought to myself, how much does God love him that he didn't even wait for Sunday? He waited for just a Monday night got a lifeline and started reaching. See, it's the church that does the polling, but it's God that does the reaching. God reached for him. He didn't even wait for a service. He didn't wait for a special moment. He didn't even wait for midweek service. God reached for him on a Monday night. And today in this place, on this Sunday morning, don't you feel what I feel? God is reaching right now. And there's a church that's pulling for you. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? I pray this word was an encouragement to you today. Thank you again for tuning in to Truth Chapel's podcast. If you have not yet, please take a moment and leave us a quick review. God bless and have a great rest of your day.